This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment's all about understanding your credit report, the why, when, and how to check it. And I tell you, Blair, when we first started working together and you talked about a credit report, my eyes kind of glazed over, (laughs) not in front of you, but in the back of my head, it's like, oh, yikes, what's a credit report all about? So, And I know I'm not alone in this. Um, And there's some basics that we should all know about consumer credit reports and our and our scores uh that's why you're going to explain the ins and outs of these reports and scores so blair will you start by explaining what a person's credit score is and how it's calculated here in this country because i i'm assuming that it's different in the united states for example yeah it's different in this country elaine it's also different from every lender and every credit bureau so the idea that there's just one credit score and that's the gospel truth well that just doesn't exist so i'm really happy to have the chance to talk about the topic today and i do recall um, elaine i think our first conversation about credit ratings i think i used the word algorithm way too many times i'm going to try to refrain from doing that <laughs> that just means a means of how they add up their numbers but anyway we'll try to keep keep it as as accessible as possible so what is your credit score well your credit score it's a numerical rating it ranges from a low of around 300 points uh, to a high of 900 points obviously 900 being on the best side there and credit scores are calculated based on information in your credit report they essentially assign a grade to you on how well you use your credit with the objective of helping your lenders decide whether they're going to extend your credit how risky it's going to be for them to extend your credit and under what terms such as the interest rate or the overall cost Uh, by which the credit might be offered to you. So what helps your credit score is you gain points with actions that demonstrate responsible credit use. The most responsible thing you can do with your credit is to make your full payments on time each month. And you can lose points by actions that indicate unstable or risky credit use, like making your payments late or having an account go to collections. Uh, Because your credit history is always being updated, your credit score is going to change over time. And, you know, in some cases, it can take anywhere from 30 to 90 days for something that say happened today, like a missed payment to actually be reflected on your credit score. So it's not, you know, a complete one-to-one immediate relation. Now, what your credit report is, so there's a credit score, which is your numerical score, and it's based on your credit report. A credit report is essentially a recap of all of your credit history, and it has personal and financial information about you. Your credit report is held by one of two, or actually both these days, credit bureaus in Canada, which are Equifax and TransUnion. It's created when you borrow money for the first time, and then lenders continually send information about your accounts to at least one one of the two bureaus. Um, as I mentioned, Equifax and TransUnion. And what a lot of people don't know is they think there's some government body that over
oversees, you know, credit reporting and makes sure everything is done with integrity and data protection. These are two private companies. They're not government bodies. And there have been data breaches in recent years in some of the biggest credit, uh, credit reporting agencies around the world, including in Canada. So definitely, if you have the sense that there's someone, you know, in the government that's overseeing this whole thing, no, it's, it's a private company system. It's made to serve the banks. Uh, what's also interesting um, is that your credit score can be completely different depending on which credit bureau you're checking and then also which lender you're working with because each credit bureau is going to have their own means of putting all the numbers together to getting you your own credit score and then what also happens is each lender is going to have their own means as well so if you're thinking you're going to chase a certain numerical credit score you know monitor it online every month um, that's an errand that's not going to yield you any joy because you have no idea how the individual bureaus and especially how the lender that you're going to apply to is actually going to calculate that score. So my advice is don't chase a numerical number, but focus on the really good behaviors that are going to just help that number increase from wherever it is. Now, I just want to throw the, the point in here, Blair, that if, if your eyes are glazing over and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I've been in this situation and that situation, and now I'm not sure, and I think it's really bad, and what can I do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're still open, uh, completely open for folks to give Sands and Associates a call to help figure that out because there may be some other things going on there too, which could be of benefit for you to figure out. So I just want to mention the phone number at this point, 1-800-661-3030 uh, to talk to somebody at Sands and Associates. And the website is also terrific. It's a great, a great site filled with good information, sands-trustee.com. So can we talk about, mm, I don't know, how often we should look at the report? I mean, is it something that we should obsess about or, or not obsess about? Well, you know, definitely not something to obsess about and just understanding the background here that this is not a metric that's directed to the consumer. Um, you know, essentially you are the product. You're not the person this is made for. This is made for the banks. It's made for the banks to assess customer profitability and risk. So the idea of chasing some metric that's really not for you and doesn't always mean that you're doing that well financially. Um, you know, I have a lot of folks where we have that discussion and we sit down and we say, you know, you've got great credit right now, but no one's willing to loan you any money. Well, because you've got a bunch of other debt. So that great credit rating, you know, if you've been chasing that forever, it's not providing you the benefits that you thought. But in terms of how often you should actually check your credit report, you know, my recommendation would be at least once a year, um, probably every six months, I, I tend to recommend a little bit more highly, especially if you're thinking about making a major purchase over the next number of years. Because if you do find errors on your credit report, it's not an instant thing to get them corrected. They will get corrected over time, but it can take a little bit of time and the time to do that is not when you're sitting with the mortgage broker ready to sign off on new financing. So you definitely want to stay ahead of the curve and make sure you know exactly what's on your credit report. And when you do pull your credit report, you know, here's some of the information that you're going to see there. Uh, it's going to summarize all the information about your credit accounts, how you use them, all your payment history. Uh, it might include things like any credit checks that you've done in the last three years. So if you go and apply for credit for the next three years, someone that pulls a credit report will see those applications. Um, they're going to show when you open the account, how much you owe, and if you've exceeded your credit limit. Do you make your payments on time? Have you missed payments? Have you had NSF payments or have they gone to collections? 
Have you had to restructure the debts? Are there any registered liens or judgment against you? Um, and then do you have any consumer statements that you've put on there? So sometimes people put on a statement to explain circumstances, they're disputing a debt or explaining why there's a bad story on there, that it's not all what's, what's shown on the paper. And sometimes there's fraud alerts or identity verification alerts. So some people's credit report will be just a couple of pages. Some will run to 15, 20 pages or more. And for each account that you have, it's essentially just going to be a record of how dependable, how reliable, essentially how profitable you've been as a consumer for each of those reports. And each individual account that you have, it's going to be scored. Uh, the most common score is going to start with an R and that's for revolving credit like a credit card. And R1 means that you've never missed a payment. You're great. Um, R9 means that you've skipped the country or you filed a bankruptcy. Um, you know, they're not able to get their money back. So the closer you are to R1, that just means you're on the right side of the creditors from, from their perspective. Okay. And um, there's going to be personal information that folks are going to see, and that's not something you should worry about, right? Well, you want to make sure that it's accurate. So there'll be things like your name, okay. date of birth, your addresses, social insurance numbers, driver's license, and things like that. So you definitely want to eyeball that each time you get the report just to make sure that your information hasn't been merged with someone else. Um, again, I, I've told it in the past, sometimes I pull my credit report and I'm amazed to find addresses I've never lived at. And there's not that many Blair Mantons in this world, but I think there's sometimes maybe a Martin <laughs> or there's some typo that, that happens. So, you know, I've definitely seen it and I've certainly seen it with clients where there are inaccuracies on their credit report. Uh, if you do find errors, it's an obligation of the Bureau to correct those errors, but you have to go through a process. There's an investigation process. You have to provide a little bit of documentation, and then eventually anything that's not correct will definitely get corrected on that report. Excellent. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, the smallest of spelling mistakes could affect something if somebody's then going back to look at your report if you're wanting to get credit or money or, or whatever. That makes, that's really good sense. Um, anything else that's super important for consumers to know about their credit report and score, Blair? Yeah, I think one of the most common things I get asked is, okay, I, I'm missing payments or something's went a little bit bad. You know, when is that going to clear off my credit? You know, mm -hmm. when is the negative information going to go? And one thing to, to be aware of is negative information does expire. It's not going to be there forever. If you missed a payment today, 20 years from now, they're not going to have that on your report, but it is going to be there for what can be an extended period of time. So any late payments or NSF payments will both show for up to six years from the date reported. And this is even the case if you paid the past due balance, paid all the penalties the next month, it was just an oversight, that is going to be noted there for six years. If there's any collection accounts or any judgments from court actions, um, they're going to show for six years as well. Uh, this one surprises people a little bit, um, but bankruptcy is another thing that even if you had to file bankruptcy to deal with all the debts, discharge them fully, that's also released six years after the bankruptcy is concluded. So it's not there for the rest of your life. It's not 10 or 20 years. It is just six years. And if you restructured your debts through either a consumer proposal um, or even seeing a credit counselor, you know, that might be off your record as soon as a year or two after you finish those payments. So anytime where you're worried, you know, I've got something bad on my credit, you know, does this mean I'm financially untouchable for the rest of my life? The answer is a resounding no. You can recover from any negative stories that might might be on your credit. Um, and what's wonderful for me to see is just the transformation. Once we deal with the debt, if people really focus on having good credit behaviors, they can rebuild a very solid credit rating as little as two years after even a personal bankruptcy. And you know, the key hallmarks of things that you're going to do to rebuild your credit really solidly, uh, just it makes good financial sense. You're going to make your payments in full and on time. 
If you can't pay the full balance off, you're going to always make the minimum payments required. You contact your creditor right away if there's any hiccups, because sometimes they'll agree not to report something if you've been in touch. And then what's also an important metric that doesn't get talked about enough, I think, but is the idea of credit utilization. So you want to keep yourself to a maximum of 50% of your credit limit every time that a statement is put out. So if you've got a $2,000 limit on a card, I'd recommend you don't ever charge more than $1,000 to it. And it's even better if you can keep it to under a third, because as soon as creditors start to see, well, you're bumping up to 70, 80% of your credit limit, even if it's paid off that same month, that can be a warning sign that can definitely uh, cause your credit report and your credit rating uh, to suffer a little bit. That's so interesting because credit card companies are often wanting you to increase or giving you the opportunity to increase the amount of credit you can have with them. Yeah, and obviously they want you to to incur it. And, you know, sometimes it can make sense that, okay, you ask for the increase in limit and then you just never spend that much money. And it actually helps you because now your credit utilization is lower than it would have otherwise been. Um, I think, you know, one final thought to leave our listeners with is there really are no quick fixes. So if you ever mm -hmm. hear of something like instant credit repair or overnight, you know, we'll take you from zero to hero, that is impossible. It just doesn't exist. Anything that you do, it took time to get to that situation. It's going to take probably less time to get you out of it, but it's not going to be instant and it is a case of buyer beware. I want to suggest too, if you want to give them a call at the number is 1-800-661-3030 to get that first free consultation and sit down with somebody or Zoom with somebody, virtually sit down with them. Uh, and the website is sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. This segment is all about personal bankruptcy, and I know that those words can strike fear in your heart when you hear them. I know they do for me. It just sounds so awful, but the message here is, one, it's not as bad as you think. Historically, frightening to hear those words, uh, you know, shame, embarrassment, all that stuff, but Blair, his purpose in being here for this segment is he's going to walk us through the process, and by the end of it, Ah, maybe you'll think it's not as bad as you thought it might be. And we know that um, personal bankruptcy can be the best solution for folks that are trying to deal with their debt the most effective, efficient way and uh, be able to move forward as a result. And so, Blair, can you start by explaining what does it mean to file for personal bankruptcy in British Columbia in 2023? Well, well, certainly, Elaine, and it's definitely the case. Bankruptcy is always your last resort. So it's never the first thing that comes out of the toolkit when you think, oh, I think I might have a debt problem. You don't file bankruptcy the next day. But that being said, when other options aren't suitable, when you've been struggling for a period of time, uh, it's really good to know, well, what is this option of bankruptcy? It exists in Canadian law for a reason. And quite often, the specter of it, the idea about it is far worse than the actual reality. Uh, and bankruptcy just allows you to get that fresh start. So what bankruptcy does, it's a powerful legal debt forgiveness process that Canadians can access in situations where their debts have become unmanageable. When you file for personal bankruptcy, you get legal protection from your creditors and you get debt forgiveness that eliminates virtually all of your debts. So the point of a personal bankruptcy, and this is from the, the legislation, the wording, is to provide the honest but unfortunate person an opportunity to start fresh free from unmanageable debt. 
Uh, bankruptcy is a federally legislated process. So there's small differences province to province, but for the most part, it's consistent across Canada. And for most people, bankruptcy is simple, private. It's not something that goes in the newspaper typically, and only the people that know about it are those that need to know about it. Um, and it's quite often it's finished in as little as nine months. Um, the eligibility uh, to, to file for bankruptcy in Canada is you have to owe more than a thousand dollars and be insolvent, meaning that you're unable to repay your debts. And you know nobody I've ever seen files bankruptcy for a thousand dollars a debt, but some people file bankruptcy for five to ten thousand dollars per debt, uh, where some people file it for millions of dollars of debt. So there's no upper limit, um, but you do have to owe at least a thousand dollars. Um, there's no need for you to have overdue accounts or to be facing creditor harassment or a low credit score. Uh, for a lot of people, it's up to 70% of people that end up filing a bankruptcy. They actually have a strong credit score, but as they've learned, and I've learned in this job too, you can have exceptional credit and still have $80,000 of credit card debt that you may never be able to pay off, but you keep the exceptional credit just by making all your minimum payments every month. So it's not the case you have to be subject to a garnishment or collection activities, you can just have made that realization that I'm just never going to get out from under this debt burden of doing what I'm doing here. Um, there are significant advantages to bankruptcy. So the reason why you'd go through a process like this is, well, first off, you get full forgiveness for just about every type of debt. Uh, you get to protect your assets and your income from creditors, including halting any wage seizures or court actions that are against you. Uh, you get to remove unaffordable debt payments from your monthly budget. So in general, the cost of doing a bankruptcy is very significantly less than what you'd be charged to pay your debts off in full. Um, and the whole idea of removing the debt stress. So the stress that you're under, having these burdens that you can't meet, getting you a financial fresh start that allows you to move forward with your life and achieve your future financial goals. Uh, quite often, and there are many ways to get out of debt, but quite often bankruptcy ends up being the quickest and the least expensive option uh, of the formal debt resolutions to consider. So not to say that's everyone's best option is bankruptcy. It isn't, but if bankruptcy is right for you, it's typically not as expensive or long in duration as you might have thought. I want to mention too, you know, if you already know that this is your next step or you're almost 100% sure it is, then this is the phone number to talk to someone at Sands and Associates. And they have offices all over British Columbia. It's 1-800-661-3030. I also want to suggest if you're not quite sure, maybe going to their website would be helpful. Uh, it's sands-trustee.com. It's just filled with such great questions and, and, uh, and answers that are easy to understand, not no big, you know, big language barriers for you at all. It's just really thoughtful, kind answers that may then spur you on to making that first appointment. And you can do that on the website as well. Um, so Blair, what steps need to happen to file for bankruptcy at this point? Well, just about every personal bankruptcy I've ever seen is considered voluntary, meaning the person seeks out the services of a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, it's possible to be forced into bankruptcy, but I've literally never seen it in more than 15 years of being a trustee. So in the vast majority of cases, it's just the person decides this is the remedy that they want to pursue. Uh, you have to work with a licensed insolvency trustee to file for bankruptcy. You don't need a lawyer. You generally don't need to appear in court, uh, but you do have to engage a trustee. 
Uh, and there are generally three steps, especially when you're dealing with Sands and Associates. So the first step is to have a confidential debt consultation. You'll speak with a qualified, non-judgmental debt expert like a trustee or an estate manager. We'll go through all the issues you're hoping to resolve, uh, outline your debts, what are your household and your income situations, what are your objectives and what's relevant to your circumstances. You really need to make sure you're getting advice from a licensed insolvency trustee or estate manager because they're the only people that are empowered to actually administer a bankruptcy. So even if you're discussing with you know a lawyer or an accountant, you might be getting partial guidance at best. So the best lawyers and accountants refer their clients directly to a trustee to make sure that the person is getting the best insight, the most up-to-date insights about how a bankruptcy process would work. So after step one, after that confidential debt consultation, uh, step two is where you'd assemble some documentation and bring it back to the trustee. So there's a short information form that you would fill out, um, outlining all the circumstances you've discussed in the first meeting about your debts, your income, uh, your tax situation, all of your assets. Uh, and then you'd provide the trustee with some supporting documentation. So for each of the people you owe money to, hey, let's get the most recent bill. Uh, for your job, if you're working, well, let's get your most recent pay stuff. Let's understand the entire situation. Once you provide that information to the trustee, trustee starts to prepare the official documents for filing and that's the focus of your third meeting. So your third meeting is when you're able to start the bankruptcy process. You haven't paid anything to that point. There's been no obligation, everything confidential to there. And then once you sign the bankruptcy process, you stop having any responsibility to pay these debts directly. The trustee steps in the middle between you and your creditors and you deal with the trustee to successfully complete the personal bankruptcy process. Okay. All right. So let's talk about how that works, how that process works. Um, I know that you've said it's, it's very straightforward for folks. Um, and, and that, you know, might be hard for someone to actually believe because it sounds like such a big, uh, overwhelming, complicated thing. But, but actually when you get right down to it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, you know, the, the first thing that people think is, well, bankruptcy takes six, seven, 10 years. Well, no, it takes nine months for the vast majority of people, upwards of 80% of people, when they file for bankruptcy from the day they're signing those documents to the day we're signing a certificate of discharge, which says they have no more debt and they're moving forward, everything left behind. Uh, that period of time is just nine months. Uh, what happens during those nine months is as soon as you sign the documents, you've got the protection of the bankruptcy and your trustee starts to handle all of the creditor contact. So the trustee sends the creditors a copy of the bankruptcy filing and gets a claim back from each of the creditors that proves the amount of debt that, that's being suspended and then eventually eliminated. Uh, you keep in touch with your trustee and you have to do a couple of duties and there's just a couple things you have to do on a monthly basis um, to really make sure the bankruptcy will finish on time and give you the right financial rehabilitation. The most important thing is you have to complete a basic monthly budget form that details your household income and your expenses. So the trustee's not here to judge on how you're spending your money, but the trustee will give you some insights if they notice something, but will also have to validate are your is your income above or below low income guidelines because that's what's determines what determines how long you're in a bankruptcy proceeding. So if somebody that's low income, they're out of bankruptcy as soon as nine months. Somebody that's not low income, they're in bankruptcy for a longer period of time because they have a higher ability to repay part of the debt. 
So you do the budget forms every month. Um, you have to make a regular payment to the trustee for the cost of the bankruptcy. Um, usually it's significantly less than what you're already paying on your debts. And if it's a nine month bankruptcy, those payments stop at the end of nine months. Uh, really important aspect too, aside from the budgets and doing the the uh, payments is you have to attend two financial counseling sessions. So they're private one-on-one -on -one sessions, about 45 minutes in length, and they're focused on helping you develop a household budget for the future, helping you set financial goals you can achieve after the bankruptcy is finished. And you have to attend both of those in order to complete the bankruptcy on time. Okay. What, what would you say are the biggest misconceptions that people have? I mean, we've touched on a couple, um, mm -hmm. but what are the biggest ones that you encounter all the time that misconceptions about a personal bankruptcy and, and how it would affect someone? Yeah, a couple of things. So one, a lot of people think, well, bankruptcy would be great, but it won't help me because I owe this type of debt. And, you know, sometimes people assume, well, if it's a secured debt, you know, if it's a vehicle shortfall or a mortgage shortfall, well, that can't be part of a bankruptcy. Well, no, it can. If you have to default on a mortgage and the house is sold and they say you owe a bunch of extra money, that absolutely is a mortgage debt that can be included. Uh, debts owing to another person just because the person said, well, I would never accept a bankruptcy filing. It really doesn't matter. They don't have any option. Um, every debt that you owe that's a standard consumer debt can be included in a personal bankruptcy filing. A lot of people think debts to CRA can't be included in a bankruptcy. No, they absolutely can. Uh, there's nothing in CRA's legislation that allows them to opt out of your right to get a financial fresh start. Um, student loans, even ICBC debts. So don't make the assumption that bankruptcy can't help because you think you have a very unique type of debt. There are a couple of debts that can't be included, things like child support, alimony, fa family maintenance. But you know that's about it. There's not too many other types of debt that really can't be included in a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Um, a second big misconception is that bankruptcy caused you to lose all of your assets, and it doesn't. In most cases, people keep all of their assets because there are provincial exemptions that allow people to keep their clothing and medical aids, their household items, their work tools, even a vehicle and a certain amount of home equity, RRSPs and pension plans, all of those things you're typically in a better position to retain after a bankruptcy than before because you've got protection now from all of your creditors while you restructure. Okay, and this question is for somebody who's sitting there listening to all this and going, okay, I'm really struggling with my debt. I, I don't know about bankruptcy. What's the number one thing that they should do right now? Well, think? they should just reach out for help. So you don't want to self-diagnose. You can make yourself crazy reading everything on the internet about every topic. There are certain trusted sources you can come to, and a licensed insolvency trustee is your best resource, your best ally. We'll meet with you at no cost, no obligation, and with no judgment to review all of the options. And if bankruptcy is right for you, we'll help you go forward. Excellent. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. I want to mention the phone number if your next step is to make that call. It's 1-800-661-3030 or check their website. You can also make an appointment through that, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. This segment, we're going to talk about and I'm going to assume that it's it doesn't involve a huge number of people, Blair, but it's about people who uh, end up having to do either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy more than once. How how usual or unusual is that? 
Well, it's more than I would have thought. Um, so the most recent statistics uh, based on 2021 from the superintendent of bankruptcy, they said essentially 21% of consumers who filed for bankruptcy or made a consumer proposal had previously filed for bankruptcy. So it's, it's a significant portion of people using the system more than once. And there can be different reasons for it. And we'll talk about yeah, all of that. What are they? Um, but yeah, but yeah it's, it's definitely it's a significant portion. Cool. All right. Or, or not cool. I, I, I mean, like, okay, good. So we, so we know that's a fairly large number. Um, does having previously done a consumer proposal or having declared bankruptcy in any way disqualify you from enjoying or getting the benefits of either of those options in the future? And that's a great question, Elaine, because sometimes people think, okay, I've used the consumer proposal card. I can't do that again. Well, in, in you know, if life happens and it can be a pretty long life, you can file more than one consumer proposal. And there's literally no difference between a consumer proposal for a second. Um, I haven't seen many that are a third time, but it, it's possible. There's no difference with sub subsequent or successive consumer proposals later on in life. Um, Similarly, you can file bankruptcy more than once, but there are some differences when it's a second or even a third time bankruptcy. And for a lot of people, you know, the, the problems that cause them to need our help to file either a bankruptcy or a proposal, there are things that are completely outside of their control, things that never they would expect to have happened to them. Sometimes it's a job loss, uh, a medical issue, a relationship breakdown. And well, sometimes those things can happen more than once in life. So it's not always the case that you know, someone just mismanaged them, their affairs very terribly, um, you know, once and then they do the same thing again and, and need the help of an insolvency. Quite often it can be two completely unrelated circumstances. You know, maybe they were divorced 20 or 30 years ago and now they've retired and they've just had a medical issue, completely different circumstances. And in each of those situations, uh, the person is able to avail themselves of the remedies available um, to deal with their death through Canadian law. Okay. So let's go through those uh, key facts that you think that Sands and Associates thinks people should know about before they take the next step, let's say. Yeah, well, I think the first thing to know is just, well, what are the options? So if someone is listening and they've never previously done a bankruptcy or a proposal, well, let's explain what we're actually talking about here. So a consumer proposal, it allows you to consolidate all of your debt without borrowing. And along with putting it all together into one single payment, it allows you to stop all of the interest and reduce the debt down to what you can actually afford to repay. Often the reductions are in the neighborhood of 50 to 80% of the total debt is written off and you pay the balance, sometimes as little as 20 cents in the dollar. For a proposal to, to succeed, you don't need everybody that you owe money to, uh, to agree to it, but you need 50% by dollar value to say yes. Uh, a proposal is binding on just about every type of debt, so even including government debt, things like taxes or CERB overpayments or student loans. Um, just about any debt can be significantly reduced by doing a consumer proposal. And as I alluded to earlier, the consumer proposal, it's the same steps every time. Even if you've previously done a consumer proposal or previously filed a bankruptcy, your proposal and the new situation doesn't have any extra steps to it. There's no extra penalty to it. Uh, and you don't actually have to use the same licensed insolvency trustee. So at Sands and Associates, we have a lot of people coming to us saying, okay, it was the 1980s. I worked with a trustee at that point. They're no longer around. Um, can you guys help me? And absolutely, when you're looking towards a second uh, consumer proposal or even a personal bankruptcy, you can choose the trustee that you want to work with. 
Okay. So if, if, if there's someone who's listening at this moment goes, okay, all right, this is the situation I know that I'm in. I've done this before. Here's the next steps. Check out the website at Sands and Associates at sands-trustee.com or give them a call 1-800-661-3030 and set up that first appointment and, uh, and go from there. How many times, um, now you sort of alluded to it, or not, not even alluded to it, said that pretty rare, maybe somebody would do a consumer proposal twice, but you've not run into someone who's maybe had to do it um, a third time. Is there a limit on the number of times that somebody could potentially do one? There's no limit. Um, I've definitely had people who are doing their second proposal and sometimes their first one was, you know, just a few years ago, five or 10 years ago. Um, I can bet there will be people that will have to do three proposals or perhaps more in their life. And again, could be for completely unrelated circumstances. Uh, but again, the takeaway is that there's really no difference. It's all whether your creditors will accept that proposal or not. Um, you know, sometimes if it's the same creditors that you're dealing with again and again, and specifically if it's an income tax driven proposal, you know, the first proposal, if it was for a failure to remit income taxes, the government might assume, you know, the best of your intentions and really understand your situation and want to work with you. If it's a second proposal for income taxes, they might be a little bit more leery. Uh, a third proposal for income taxes, I would bet they're going to want either more money uh, or some extra compliance saying, well, you have to confirm you're up to date with all of your taxes at every stage of the proposal. So there can be some things your creditors individually might make a little bit more difficult if you're doing a subsequent proposal. Uh, but you know, the letter of the law says if the creditors will accept it, um, then essentially the proposal can succeed. Uh, one thing that's important to know too is about the credit rating impact um, of a multiple proposals. Now, this is quite different than a bankruptcy. If you do a first bankruptcy, it's on your credit bureau for six years after you finish it. A second bankruptcy is 14 years after you finish it. So very punitive doing a second bankruptcy. With a consumer proposal, the credit rating impact is the same each time. There's no additional bad credit impact that happens from having to do a second uh, or even a third consumer proposal. And the way a consumer proposal actually reflects on your credit report is for six years from the day that you sign that proposal or for three years from the day you pay off that proposal, whatever is shorter. So if it's, you know, a lump sum proposal, it's a payment that's over and done with quickly. It's only on your bureau for three years. Uh, whatever the, those rules dictate is exactly the same for every proposal. So there's not a situation where a second proposal would be longer on your credit than a first proposal had been. One of the things that strikes me, Blair, is that we talk an awful lot about people who sort of are in a, a, a state of denial, like, oh, I don't know what to do, or I don't know, yeah, I don't have a clue what to do, and, you know, maybe it's not that bad, maybe I can do this, maybe to do that. And that's why I'd like to sort of go to the, the last piece of this segment that we've sort of scripted out for the listener, um, the things, the warning signs uh, that everybody should be watching out for, and if it helps just one person go, oh yeah, I do have an issue, I need to take some steps. I thought it'd be worth it if we, if we ended this segment by going over those ones. 
I think that that's a great idea, Elena, for somebody listening, you know, if, if one or two of these might be resonating, uh, that might be enough to spur you to have a conversation that could really exactly. result in you, in your turning things around. Yeah, so it's important. Yeah. It's important to know too, warning signs now might be completely different than warning signs you had had 15 or 20 years ago, if you previously had done a proposal. So you might say, well, this doesn't feel the same as last time. Um, but still, you still might need the help. So the most common warning signs are if you're in a repayment plan, that's going to keep you in debt for a very long time. So more than five years. So if you're only making minimum payments on your credit cards, for example, that's a repayment plan that's going to take decades. Um, a big one is if you're feeling overwhelming stress or worry about your debt or financial affairs, maybe you're constantly thinking about your debt. We often say, you know, if you think you have a debt problem, you're generally right. And you know, your gut is going to tell you uh, whether you're comfortable or not. Uh, if you're relying on credit every month to make up some gaps with your income, you're just not able to pay things from your paycheck and the credit card balances grow each month. Um, if you're moving money around, you're taking money from one card to pay another card, for example, that never has a good ending. Uh, and then finally, the very you know drastic in your face of collection calls, court actions, or wage or account seizures, any of those types of warning signs are a good indication you'd benefit from having a free conversation with a licensed insolvency trustee. Great. I think that's really important just to mention those things. My, my hope is that somebody would have heard one thing and went, oh, no, I need to do something. And, and this is the steps to take. So if you're even if you're just looking for some advice about how to deal with your debt or you want to take a bigger action, Sands and Associates is where to go. So you can book your free, confidential, non-judgmental debt consult, uh, consultation by calling this number 1-800-661-3030 or the website sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. One of my favorite topics, paying off credit card debt where to start and what you can do. And the reason why, Blair, I think it's just so important, and, and I'm telling you something you already know, uh, credit card debt is like one of the most common, if not the most common reason that people get into uh, a debt situation that becomes overwhelming is, is due to those darn credit cards, right? Well, absolutely. I can't think of anybody I've helped to file a bankruptcy or proposal in, in the last year or so that has not had at least one credit card. And in the space of my career, it's probably just a very small, small number of people, maybe just somebody with a huge ICBC debt and nothing else. Almost everybody ends up having a credit card debt. And in some cases, that's all people have. It's just a credit card that led to another they were maxed out, they got another credit card, and then suddenly they're dealing with debt that's just snowballing on its own because of the high cost and the high interest charges. And I don't want to be mean here, but it seems that the credit card uh, process is, is we're almost set up every time we get one. I mean, they make it often so easy to get a second one or a third one or the first one for that matter, that of course it's something that everybody uh, could potentially struggle with. Well, yeah. And, you know, we could probably spend uh, the entire segment just talking about the concerns I have with how credit card companies do business. But, you know, talk yeah. about who, who are the biggest sponsors on your first week of school and university. It's the credit card companies. And, you know, these by definition are students with no assets, no job, no income. 
but we want to give them high interest financing as quick as we can. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely some cynicism uh, from me in saying that, yeah, it can be a little bit too easy um, to get hooked on easy credit. And then when you think about whether it's an airline or even a lot of restaurants, oh, we don't do cash anymore. So, you know, you really do have to have a payment card, whether that's, you know, a visa debit or something, but it's quite often easiest just to have that unsecured credit card that just becomes this uh, just fact of life that, hey, you tap the card instead of reaching into your wallet for the money that you used to feel a bit of pain parting with some of those bills rather than just that tap that feels the same, whether it's $5 or $50. Absolutely. And I just want to throw in here, having gone through the pandemic, grocery shopping it, to now actually opening my wallet or purse and giving them cash for it. It's like such a foreign thing. And they're kind of looking at me and I'm thinking, is it OK if I give you money? And they're going, of course it is. Uh, just let me, you know, count it out for you. It's like crazy. Yeah, we're losing that skill. Yeah, <laughs> we are. I think everybody is not just the consumer, but the people on the other end of it. Anyways. OK, so let's talk about credit card debt. And uh, what's the first thing that you recommend for folks? Well, I think the first thing is just to really make sure you have an understanding of how credit cards work and how quickly they can get out of control. So when you use your credit card for a purchase and you don't pay the balance off in full, the purchases just become more expensive with the added interest charges and the balance continues to roll over and over, accrue more interest, interest upon interest, so to speak. So you can end up, if you have a very high balance on your credit card, your monthly interest charges can even push you over your credit limit. So not from purchases just from again interest stacked on interest and you should understand too if you start to miss some payments or make a payment late uh, some credit cards have clauses where suddenly their interest rate will go even higher so not only are they going to ding your credit report for missing some payments but now it's going to get harder each month um, to get that that credit card actually paid down. Um, a couple of examples of really how minimum payments are not designed to get you out of debt at all. They're designed to maximize the amount of money credit card companies will eventually get from you is if you had just a thousand dollar balance on your credit card at 18%, which is a very typical credit card interest rate. And a lot of them are higher these days. That could be 10 years to pay off with just minimum monthly payments. So, you know, who would think that 10 years is a reasonable timeline to pay off just a thousand dollars? debt. I don't think anybody, but if you're sitting there just not paying attention every month and thinking that your minimum payments are making progress, they're definitely not. If that thousand dollars was from one of the big department stores where their credit cards are 29.9 interest in many cases, that's suddenly 25 years to pay off. So you just really have to understand if there's one thing, please understand that minimum payments, if you're stuck in that cycle, you're going nowhere fast. And that's a big warning sign that you actually need some help. Yeah. And that's when you that's when you get a hold of somebody at Sands and Associates and say, this is my situation. What can I do about that? And if you want to do that, it's so easy. Here's the phone number. It's a 1-800 number, 661-3030. Or go to the website, sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great questions and very well understandable answers uh, it, to really define your situation a little bit better. If you're still unsure, that's a great way to go and then give them a call. So what are some of the strategies that folks are using these days to get their credit cards paid off? 
Yeah, a couple of things you can consider. You know, one, if the situation is not very severe yet and hopefully doesn't get that way, you can negotiate or try to switch uh, even with a different lender to a lower interest rate. So even something like a 2 to 3% drop in your interest charges, that can have a big difference in helping you pay off your credit card debt easier. If your balances are reasonably low and you haven't been missing any payments, I would consider contacting your credit card issuer and just asking them, hey, can you guys do anything better on this interest rate? Do you have any other products I should be considering? And the customers that have made their payments on time, been longtime customers, they can see there's good value in that relationship. They're often able to negotiate a lower rate. You want to be prepared before you make that call. So do some interest rate comparisons. You know, if you just do a quick Google search of, you know, low rate interest card credit cards in Canada, you'll find a bunch of really good resources. And you can say to your bank, well, okay, it's great that you're dropping it to 15% for me, but I can see this card I can apply for tomorrow at 12. Really not like to leave you guys. What can you do? And suddenly you might find that there's some good options for, for you to consider with your existing bank. Uh, one other option to consider is if one of your cards has a lower balance than the others will be to look at doing a balance transfer. Uh, you want to be careful here that there's not going to be any fees associated with that because sometimes there can be a one-time fee and be as low as 1% or as high as a few multiples of that. And that can make things a little more expensive than what you would think. Uh, and make sure it's not just a promotional rate that within a couple months it's going to be higher than the card you transferred it from. So definitely trying to negotiate or reduce the interest rate is one option. Uh, another option to consider is to really prioritize the highest interest cost debt that you have. And you've got to make all your minimum payments each month if you're not going to be filing with, with Sands and Associates for a proposal, which we'll talk about if you're going to try to pay things off yourself. But if you're able to carve out extra money in your budget and actually pay more than the minimum payments, what you'd want to do is really prioritize whichever card is costing you the most each month. So put a list together of all of your cards with their minimum payments, account numbers, balances, and then interest rates, and decide if it's an extra 50 or $100 every month that you can pay beyond just the minimum payments, put 100% of that extra payment to the highest interest card until that one is paid off and then move on down the line to your, your next highest interest card, so on and so forth. And you mentioned talking about, you know, filing a consumer proposal to consolidate and, and get rid of that credit card credit card period as well as other debts is, 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 a, is a wonderful step to take if that's your situation. Well, absolutely, Elaine. And that's often the step that people need to take because quite often when I meet with someone, there's no ability to make even the minimum payments or any more than those. Um, and if they just say, well, we can't pay more than the minimums, I don't think anybody should be paying $1,000 off for 10 years plus. And it just goes up from there. So filing a consumer proposal, as anyone who listens to the show knows, is going to consolidate the debt, reduce the balance to what you can afford, and bring the interest literally to zero. So every dollar that you pay in a consumer proposal goes directly to reduce that debt and it's often a significantly lowered amount of the debt as well so people can have life-changing transformations in their financial situation in a matter of just a few short years by doing a consumer proposal okay so let's say that now I want to start using my credit card again I've gone through the process how do you I, I don't know how a person in this day and age can do that easily and I know we've just got a, a few seconds left but what do you recommend well, a secured credit card is a great way to start. That's a card where you have a deposit and your limit only allows you to go up to that deposit limit. So that can be a way that makes sure you're never going to get into trouble. So a secured credit card, you can get them at no fee through a bunch of banks or online. That's a great option to, to consider. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. 
See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.